Thank you to our praise team. Some of you may have been wondering, I've had a few people ask, how's the other service, the 910 worship service doing? And it's going really great. We've been averaging about 25 people Sunday over Sunday. And most, I'd say 90% of the people that we're seeing are families that we have not seen since March. So it's been really exciting to have those folks back uh, worshiping together corporately. And we continue to get new folks in each week, 25 plus their kids. So it's really great to have them together. Um, We are in a verse-by-verse series in the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, or you can follow along with us here on the screen here just a little bit. Um, We are getting close to the end here. I think next Sunday might actually wrap it up. We'll just see. Um, But anyhow, today I want to talk to you about uh, the battlefield of the mind, and that's what Paul is writing about here in Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. Uh, the mind represents the spoils of war between the forces of evil and the forces of good, between the forces of Almighty God and the forces of Satan. Because you see, the one who controls your mind is the one who controls your destiny, who controls what happens with your life. Your thoughts not only reveal what you are, but your thoughts are a prediction of what you are going to become. Because apart from natural instinct, things like eating and sleeping and the need for shelter in your life, um, the battlefield of the mind is, is where a conscious actions and decisions are made um, and how you perceive things and how you evaluate things, and then those flesh out into action. So um, Paul speaks into this issue today. Uh, let's stand and read together Philippians chapter 4, just two verses, verses 8 and 9. Paul speaking to the issue of what happens in our mind. Here we go, beginning at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now we're going to come back to those verses here in just a little bit, but I want you to jump over to Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 5. In the King James Version, it reads like this. It says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, thinking stirs feelings. This is kind of the natural progress of how things happen in our lives. Thinking stirs feelings. Feelings stir action, right? So we don't just start with action and then have a feeling about it. No, we start with thoughts, and then the thoughts become feelings. The feelings become action. For example, you've probably said something similar to this before. The more I thought about it, there's thoughts. The matter I got, there's feelings. Until finally, I don't know what you did. Maybe you said, I quit. I don't know. But uh, anyhow, there was action. So when you boil it down, there's only really two things that we can think about. There are holy things and there are unholy things. And that's about the scope of it. And when we think about holy things and about God's word, that creates a climate in which God can work in our lives, which is to say high and holy mental focus will create a holy life. Every other Thursday, I meet in the mornings with a group of guys from our church, and we have breakfast together up here at Strickland's. And I'm not sure if we get together for breakfast, first of all, or we get together for the fellowship. I'm not sure which it is. But in any case, we get together, and we always have a great time. And we've been reading through uh, Psalm chapter 119, which if you know, Psalm chapter 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. There's like over 150 verses in that chapter. And so we've been studying that together. And in those verses, David repeatedly says how he turns his thoughts toward God's word. He says in verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says in verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light 
to my path. David had an affection for God's word. But here, and here's a man whose focus, his whole focus in life, whose every thought was centered around saturating his mind with God's truth. But on the other hand, you can focus on unholy things, and if that's the case, then they will set, then that will set the stage for sin to take place in your life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, he said, for out of the heart come evil what? Evil thoughts, evil thoughts. And then he lists off a whole bunch of actions that result from those evil thoughts, murder, envy, strife, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, all these sorts of thought or actions that resulted from what where it starts, which is evil thoughts. Ephesians 4 and verse 17, Paul writes, Now this I say to you and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, and then that results in them being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, that is a mind issue, that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So from their mind to their feelings or their heart, and then that results in actions. Verse 19, he says, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, pra greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Finally, Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased or a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And from a debased thought life, from a debased mind, here's what resulted, verse 29, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, all these sorts of unholy actions. But the unholy actions, I want you to see this, flowed out of, resulted from what first took place in their minds, that their minds were depraved. Uh, the mind, friend, controls your destiny. It controls your actions, and Satan knows this just the way God does. And that's why the greatest conflict in our world, ongoing, is for the battlefield of your mind. Everybody's trying to control what we think, what our perspectives are, how we view reality, our worldview, you might say. Now, the unbeliever doesn't have much of a leg to stand on. They don't have much ground to fight from. Uh, because they're pretty much subject to whatever the culture's dictating is moral truth. Um, and so the unbelievers just kind of going with the flow of what's out there in popular culture, raising their kids according to that. But however, you and I have God's word rather to protect us, God's word to guide us, we have his truth. And so because of that, Satan views us as his mortal enemies because we have a way to combat this darkness. We have a way to combat the lies of Satan himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy Satan's strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments, the mind issue, and every lofty opinion, again, a mind issue, raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, friends, we have weapons that will pierce the enemy's tanks. We have weapons that will devastate his battalions, and it's called the truth. And where do we know where truth comes from? Ah, that's right. You, okay, you've been listening for 14 years. You know, his only recourse, his only tactic uh, to try and get us to defect is to try and to get us to think his way. Satan knows this. And if we start thinking his way, then, of course, our actions will follow, as we've seen in these scriptures. We start thinking things like, well, adultery and premarital sex. I mean, you know, everybody else out there is doing it. We say sexual perversion, well, as long as the two people that are doing it are consenting adults. You know, pornography, that's not so bad. Revenge, that's eh, probably a good thing, especially if the person who did it to you did it to you first. Humility, forgiveness, 
That was just signs of weakness. Slander, things like gossip. I mean, that's not so bad as long as you tell the person you're talking to and sharing stuff with, you're telling, hey, you know what? You need to pray about that issue. <clears throat> a lot of prayer requests have been shared before, but they're really slander and they're gossip. But what the Bible says about the roles of men and women, you know, those are kind of outdated. All this talk about absolute truth. Well, you know, I try to let each person decide for his or herself. It's just a whole lot easier that way. Friends, this, these compromises are the, the enemy winning in the battlefield of the mind. You see, I believe today that churches are full of Christians who may not smoke, they may not drink, they may only watch G-rated movies, but they are no longer gripped by the fact that sin maims and mutilates and destroys people's lives. It's just easier to go with the flow. I get that. There are Christians who are no longer gripped by the fact that what God says is absolute truth and that God knows more than we do. They are men who think more about women's bodies than they do about heaven. Women who think more about fashion and fitting in than they do about God. Churches are full of people like this. People like Demas's battalion after battalion of them, whose love of this world has rendered them ineffective to be used of the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why God tells us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Friends, please hear this. Only believers who think God's way can wage war God's way. I want to take a walk through verse 8 here of Philippians chapter 4 um, and look at some of these individual whatever statements that Paul makes. He's answering the question, what should we think about then? If God's saying, don't think about these things, put your mind elsewhere. Well, where is elsewhere? What are the things that we should be allowing to enter into our minds. And so he starts out, he says, well, uh, here's the first one. And he gives us six of them. He says, whatever is true. Now, by truth, Paul doesn't mean facts. He doesn't mean for us to sit down with our encyclopedia and spend some time reading it each day and just absorbing a bunch of facts. That's not what he means by thinking about things that are true. In the Greek language here, um, it's actually referring to things that are real, things that are authentic, not it's the opposite of phony, right? And so he's saying, think about things that are spiritually true, things that are real. God says, I want for your mind to be centered on such things, that we're able to see the difference between God's morals and his standards for holy living and the world's fallen, self-destructive ways. The point here is that our mind should not be believing that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven, but that God can use other religions as part of his salvific plan. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear when he said, John 14 and verse 6, I don't have it on your screen for you, but I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody, pretty unequivocal statement, comes to the Father, but through me. Perhaps we may think, well, half believe that sin maims and the other half doesn't. Our mind must critique and evaluate through the lens of Scripture rather than through our own faulty or even academically enlightened mind. We are to think on things that reflect God's perspective. We are to think on whatsoever things are true, right? Paul then says that we're supposed to think on things that are honorable. He says whatever, whatsoever is honorable. That is things that elevate the lives of the people around us, things that promote respect amongst persons that contribute to the self-worth of other persons, honorable 
things. He says, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, think about those things. And then he says, whatsoever is just. This past summer, we talked about and defined biblical justice. And we um, talked about it in terms of three different things. We said biblical justice is, first of all, impartial. That is that it's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you occupy a high and lofty office, you're subject to the same laws as the rest of us, um, that it's impartial. We also talked about God's justice as being proportional. That is that the punishment should fit the crime, that somebody who commits a misdemeanor shouldn't be, have the same penalty as somebody who's committed a felony, a serious felony. So it should be impartial, it should be proportional, and then we also talk about how God's justice is based on his moral law. Not on what people think, not on what's popular in the culture, but based on what God thinks. Again, I love the Charles Stanley statement, we don't have to wonder what God thinks. He wrote it down. Did you hear he was retiring? 80 what? Pretty remarkable life. Um, whatever, think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure. Purity can be compared with holiness, moral cleanness. God wants for our mind to be focused on things that are clean and that eliminates thoughts of lust and sensuality and vulgarity. Fifth, God wants for our minds to be set on things that are lovely. Now in the Greek here, it's talking about things that are amiable, things that are friendly. That is, God wants for our minds centered on things that produce love towards others and harmony towards others. God doesn't want our minds centered on things that produce malice and envy and strife between individuals, but rather that promotes, again, harmony between folks. And sixth and finally, he says, whatever is commendable. This means that you should not put something in front of you that the Lord Jesus Christ sitting next to you, you wouldn't watch or listen to. Like you wouldn't commend that to somebody. I wouldn't recommend that you go watch this show or listen to this music or check out this Facebook video post or whatever it is. That you wouldn't send it to your pastor. Right? If you can recommend it to me, then probably doesn't fit the bill for whatever is commendable, right? <clears throat> David says, Psalm 19 and verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's what this verse is talking about here. Whatever, what God is saying to us is if there's anything excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy or worthy of praise, that's what our mind is to cherish and to dwell on. And God says we ought to critique every thought that comes to our mind. And if it's not in line with the revealed truth of God, if Jesus Christ himself couldn't sit down with us and watch it or listen to it with us, then friends, it's out of bounds. It's not something that we should be allowing to enter into our mind. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Gordon, I can't live in a bubble. Right? I mean, there's stuff in my life that's going to come across my view. There's stuff in my life that's going to enter into my ears. I mean, we live in a fallen world. I can't, Quaker, I can't go Quaker, right? Y'all remember the Quakers from years ago? They set up in little isolated communities, and they just shielded themselves out from the world, didn't allow the world in. Um, but we can't do that. I mean, we're called to be light in the darkness. We're called to be salt in the world. We're called to go out into the world. And so because of that, things are going to you know, pass our purview but there's a difference between something making it across our eyes, something entering into our mind and allowing it to take root there. There's a difference. Um, so we, yes, we can't insulate ourselves from the world, but we can also not allow the world to take root in our mind. And that's, that's kind of like the old saying that says, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all heard that one or not before, but it, I, had, I had one person in the earlier service that had said they had heard that one before, so that was good. 
All right, well, that's our treatment of this topic for today, and so that means it's time to come to the question that we love so much. It's our most important question. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, I appreciate everything you're saying here today, and I agree with it, but I mean, it sounds so idealistic. I mean, it's kind of pie-in-the-sky kind of stuff. How is Paul expecting us to think on these things, to only allow our minds to occupy these sorts of things? What does this look like? Can you put some handles on this for us? Absolutely, I'd love to. So let's, uh, let's see if we can answer that question, what difference does this make? I got a couple of suggestions for you, four of them here. Here we go. How you can think on these things. Number one is you need to give God full control of your life. Give God full control of your life. We read that verse a few moments ago in Revelation, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that said that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But before, we, before there's verse 2, there's verse 1. And verse 1 talks about how we need to present our lives as living sacrifices. Talking about surrendering the rights to our life over to Almighty God. And uh, the point is there, God cannot take over our mind if we haven't given him our life. And so before there's, we can have the renewing of our mind, we have to become living sacrifices. Um, Number two, not only do we need to give God our life, but number two, uh, we need to load up on ammo. Load up on ammo. It's deer season. I just figured I'd go with that. Okay. Bullets. Soldiers don't go into battle without bullets. And the, the ammo that we've got, the ammo that's been given us, is the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's God's truth in written form. That's what this is. And so this war that's raging for the battlefield of our minds, we need ammunition and for the believer that's found in the word of God. Again, David said in Psalm 119 and verse 98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. Isn't that what we want? We want to be wiser than the people who are out for your job. You want to be smarter and more savvy than the people who are trying to undercut you. You want to be sharper and more attuned to what's going on around you than the people who are, you know, trying to destroy things around your life. David said in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, and for this reason he said, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Friends, if your mind is going to be fixed on pure and truthful and honorable things, then the Word of God has got to saturate it. That's how a mind gets renewed. At the age of 12, I was 12, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. At the age of 8, I had entered into a relationship with Him, asking Him to forgive me of my sins. I was heaven-bound. But I didn't begin, I was justified, you might say, in theological circles. But I, that, that path forward really didn't, didn't move forward until the age of 12, when I said, okay, Lord, if you want to direct my paths, if you want to establish my, my feet, then I know I need to give my life to you. And I did at the age of 12. I remember that very uh, candidly. And when I turned 12 and I gave my life to Jesus in that moment, I began memorizing Scripture, and I began taking God's Word and writing it down little three-by-five cards. Maybe you'd put it in your phone today. And I began reading those every day and memorizing those. And a lot of those verses, I, can, I still know today. I still remember today from such a young age. And because of memorizing those verses and allowing God's Word to saturate into my mind and shape my mind, God's worldview, how God sees things, His perspective on things, His values, have 
supplanted inside of me and have become a part of who I am. And now today I'm teaching, y'all know that I teach classes at higher education, one of the schools here in the state of Georgia, and I'm teaching Bible classes and I'm interacting with other professors, not just at that school, but across the board. And I have for years, uh, even when I was a student in school. And I've watched a lot of those professors because it wasn't in vogue to believe certain things or frankly, it was embarrassing to say that they believed certain things in Scripture. I've watched them compromise again and again and again. And friends, I credit the fact that I've been able to stand strong doctrinally in a lot of those circles because God had placed his word deep inside of my heart at such a young age. It held me. It kept me on the straight and narrow. It corrected me when I needed to be corrected. And that was not a compliment to myself. That is a recognition of the strength of God's word. You know, we got to load up on ammo, friends, because my opinion and your opinion, these can be dismissed, but the truth of God's word will never return void. Number three, number one, we need to give our life to God. Number two, load up on ammo. And number three, we need to control what enters our mind. Control what enters our mind. You say, Gordon, I have a bad feeling about where you're going right now. Uh, I think we're getting ready to get into some meddling territory. You're going to go from preaching to meddling, aren't you? Yes, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. So y'all just hang on here. Um, You know, there's a law in the universe, and my mom used to say it like this. Garbage in, you finish the statement. All right, so your mom knew that statement too, right? You know, the downfall of most of us here is that we don't exercise enough discipline over what we allow into our mind. Friends, you can make a direct correlation between what you're watching on TV and listening to and music and the kinds of friends that you surround yourself with and the kinds of errant, depraved behavior that you are conducting or engaged in. We watch TV programs that exalt everything that's unchristlike and unholy. We fantasize about material things and it reaps greed and envy in our hearts. We listen to music that emphasizes sex and innuendo and hostility and carnality. We don't walk away from conversations that are filled with pessimism and, criti- and complaining and slander. We keep company with that. Friends, purity of mind doesn't happen without effort. There has to be some sort of mental discipline that goes along with that, some selectivity that goes along with that. There has to be control over what comes in because you can't keep pumping garbage in and expect for garbage never to come out. Jesus was very clear about this starts with evil thoughts, enter into our mind, and then they later become actions. Discipline of the mind is what we need. What we need. I ran across a statistic this past week that the average Christian watches 25 to 30 hours of TV a week and spends about five minutes reading their Bible a week. The average Christian. Is it any wonder that we are having trouble raising an army? Is it any wonder that we are having trouble pushing back the darkness of this culture that we're living in. All right, number four, and finally, you need to find a godly man or a godly woman to model your life after. This is what Paul's talking about there in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. He writes these words. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, Paul's saying, copy what I do. Listen to what I listen to. Read what I read, and God will be with you. What an amazing statement. You think about that. Paul's saying, 
pattern your life after my life. You know, the guy who sold us these chairs a couple of years back ago, we, did, we brought in new seating for our sanctuary, was somebody that I had met back when I was a teenager in Delaware in high school. Just a strange sort of coinky-dink uh, kind of thing. And uh, you ever heard of one of those? No. It's kind of like the birds that fly overhead and don't nest in But anyhow, so I was talking with this guy, and um, he said to me, he said, Gordon, I want to give you a piece of advice. He was actually a former pastor, and he was wanting to share some advice. I said, yeah, I'd be glad to hear what your advice is. And he said, make sure, he said, that you stay close to other visionary pastors. Stay close to other visionary pastors. And what he meant was to get around people who are where you want to be. Run circles with people who have the same demeanor that you want to possess. People that are having the same skill set and are, are actively participating in ways of wisdom that you want to develop. You see, we need not only to keep out the negative, not allow the garbage to come in, but we need to make sure that what is coming in are things that are positive, things that are upbuilding, things that are encouraging, things that will lead us to where we want to become, where we want to go. David said, Psalm 101 and verse 7, he said, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. David saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want those people around me. But then he said before that in verse 6, get this. He said, He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. In other words, the counsel that I want to bring around me, the people I want to help me make decisions are going to be people who are blameless, people who are wise, people who have, a, who have the right perspective and approach to things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins or corrupts good morals. Friends, I don't care if the people that you're hanging out with go to church or not. Plenty of people that are going to church that are doing things that you don't need to be a part of, right? Not at this church. I don't care if the person that you're hanging out with is a Christian or not. We need to be careful about who we fraternize with. Because if the people that we're hanging out with are gripers and complainers and pessimists and, and criticizers and sensual people and negative people, it will not be long before those things that they are become a part of who we are. And this is part of why I love small groups. You know, our small group's been meeting now for couple of months, and um, it's been such a wonderful time of encouragement. I have a group of guys that I meet with on Thursdays, and then we have a group of folks that we meet with every other Sunday afternoon, and it's been such a wonderful time of encouragement. people who love the Lord, people who are devoted to the Lord, and we get to get together and encourage one another and share about what's going on in our lives and learn some, come some around God's Word, and we've been having a great time together. And I've got, so in other words, I've got people in my life, not just that who know me, but people that I meet with like that know what's going on in my kids' lives and, I, and myself with them, know, know what's happening in my marriage and I with them, people who are close to where I'm living. Friends, we, need, we all need people like that, people that we can model our lives after, and it is a direction-maintaining presence in our life. All right, I want to summarize real quick, and then we're going to wrap up. Number one, how do we center our mind on whatever is true, honorable, and just, pure, lovely, and commendable? Number one, it starts with giving God full control of your life. Number two, load up on ammo. That is, spend time in God's word each day. God, when you come home in the afternoon or in the evening, don't let the first thing you do is turn on the TV. 
Let it be to pick up God's Word and just spend a little bit of time reading through it and allow God's Word to soak and saturate into your mind. Start your day with God's truth. End your day with God's truth. Number three, control what enters your mind. Self-discipline. Friends, if you can't do it all by yourself, just ask the Lord Jesus to get down on your knees and ask Him to give you strength. Lord, help me. Help me here. to Make sure that the things that are coming in is not garbage, but rather it's stuff that's positive and that's building me up, helping me to stand for you. Number four, get close to someone whom you can model your life after. That is, keep company with people who are living the kind of life that you want to live. All right, I got a little bit of a giveaway here for you today. You've got in your seat a sticker, and uh, BJ put these together. She's creative. She's crafty. And so she took this verse, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, and there's more stickers here than we got people, so let's make sure all the stickers disappear. You're welcome. It won't help the seat out. Uh, So you can take more than one. And so what I'm inviting you to do is over the course of this week, put one of these on the back of your TV remote. Put one on your laptop, on your TV screen, stick one in your car, put one on your back of your, uh, your notebook for school, wherever it is that you might see it at some point during the day or where you think, you know what, God, I, I want to make sure that in this area of my life that I'm thinking on these things. And let God's word, let God's word be brought into action. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you that your word is a weapon that we can use in our life daily to help us to live for you. God, we uh, come around this table now to be reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body. Lord, we just ask that you would encourage us, that you put your finger on a few places, God, where our minds need a little cleaning up, need a little housekeeping, need a little cleaning out. And so, Lord, we just want to submit ourselves in those areas to you. God, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us. Holy Spirit, encourage us and speak to us in these quiet moments of communion today. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We invite you now to take the elements of communion that are around you, and we'll share in a time together. Greatest love that any